Welcome to Advent, the first Sunday of the Advent season, when we stand in anticipation and celebration for the coming of the Christ child. This is a great time of year. It's filled with lights and musics and presents, and it also is filled with anticipation, not simply to mark the birth of our Savior, but to remember that He is coming yet again. I know that you all have been up and down in this service, so I'm going to let you stay down. And I want you to join me in the gospel, the gospel of Mark, in the 13th chapter, starting with the 24th verse, the most intimate gospel that there is about Jesus' life, Jesus' interaction. And I want you to hear these words as Mark writes them. At that time, after the anguish of those days, The sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory, and He will send out His angels to gather His chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that His return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene before all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son Himself. Only the Father knows. And since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard. Stay alert. The coming of the Son of Man can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. When he left home, he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work that they were to do. And he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. You too must keep watch, for you don't know when the master of the household will return. In the evening, at midnight, before dawn, or at daybreak. Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say to you what I say to everyone. Watch for him. God's blessing upon the reading of His Word. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Ah, we come to the first Sunday of Advent. Celebration of Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior. And yet at the very same time as we celebrate His coming, we are reminded, as I've already mentioned, that He is coming yet again. He's come once, He's coming again. And so as much as we get inspired by Christmas, we have to remember to be ready for His next appearance. None of us knows when that's going to be. We're told that. None of us know the hour or the day. And sometimes we get the feeling, if we're honest with ourselves, that God somehow is out of sync with our time schedule. Like, come on, how about now? How about next week? Or how about, like, long after I'm gone? Somewhere along the line... God's time doesn't sync with ours. Little Jimmy learned that one day, sure enough. 
beautiful spring day. He was out in a meadow. The sun was out, and the clouds, white clouds were puffy. And he laid down in the grass and looked up, contemplating the different images of the clouds. And he began to think about God. And for some reason, he just said, God, are you really out there? And to his great astonishment, a voice answered, Yes, Jimmy, what can I do for you? Jimmy was taken aback, but he was not going to be caught. He decided he would ask God a question. He said, God, God, what is a million years like to you? And God, realizing that Jimmy would have a difficult concept of eternity and infinity, tried to give Jimmy an answer that he would better understand. He said, well, Jimmy, a million years is like, uh, like a minute to me. And then Jimmy thought, oh, and God, God, what's a million dollars like to you? And God, once again, thinking about that, said, well, Jimmy, a million dollars is like a penny to me. And so once again, Jimmy decided to take advantage of the situation and said, God, you are so gracious and so generous. Can I have one of your pennies? And God responded, sure, Jimmy, just a minute. Jimmy wasn't ready for that response, and I don't think any of us are ready for that response. We live in a world of instantaneous gratification. We want everything right now. We're not too good as far as patience is concerned. But in fact, we need to be patient and yet ready for the return of Jesus Christ. We need to be ready. We need to understand that He is coming yet again. God's ways are different from our ways. You know that. Little Jimmy may not have been ready for that response, but we sure must be ready. Our text this morning doesn't seem like your usual Advent text, does it? It's not. It doesn't have anything to do with Mary or Joseph. The shepherds aren't in it. The wise men aren't in it. And yet, what's it about? It's about a landowner who leaves and gives his servants certain tasks to do. And then says, I'm going to return, so you need to be on watch. You need to be prepared. Because don't let me catch you asleep when I come back. Because I am coming back. And in that sense, in a season of preparedness, in a season of waiting, this text is very appropriate for the Advent season. There are two things that I want you to remember today. Two things that you already know, but I'm going to remind you of. Jesus Christ has come, and Jesus Christ is coming again. Jesus Christ has come, and Jesus Christ is coming again. He came the first time because God wanted to identify with His creation. He wanted to identify with that which He had created. He came to walk among us, to be flesh and bone. Sometimes we discount that, but we shouldn't. He came to be just like each and every one of us. I have been reading recently about Prince Harry and his engagement to the American actress Meghan Markle. Yeah, everybody knows that name, Meghan Markle. And there's been a lot of debate recently because there's a question of dual citizenship of whether Meghan, when she marries Prince Harry, is going to maintain her American citizenship. Because if she does, guess whose purview the royal family of England falls under. 
the IRS. Yes, because the IRS is going to want to know about the wealth and the assets that Megan either has or is privy to. Now, the royal family has already always been very tight-lipped, close to the vest, about their wealth and their assets. I'm not sure anybody outside the royal family really, really knows. And that was demonstrated when they did a poll a couple of years ago of people in England talking about the royals. And even though it's a tradition in Britain, even though they consider them part of their own, these are some of the responses that said, ah, the royals don't care how we live. Or they have been isolated in their palace so long, they don't even know who we are. Or the last one I like, the royals never come among us. They never visit us. They are totally detached and preoccupied with their wealth. Well, friends, you may be able to say that about the royal family, but you cannot say of that about your God. God is some, not some detached royal. God has walked among you. He has been on this earth in flesh and bones, born among a peasant couple, couple born into a meager existence, born to live a very short life and to die a very torturous death. God has experienced it. Matter of fact, I'd like to tell you that His present comes to us not wrapped in tinsel and paper. It comes wrapped in human flesh and bone. He knows exactly how we feel and what we experience. There is no feeling or experience that you have that God has not experienced the same exact way. He has experienced the loneliness and the depression of the Garden of Gethsemane. He's experienced the betrayal on the Mount of Olives, being betrayed by a friend. He's experienced the weeping of the death of a very close friend, his friend Lazarus. He has been tempted in the wilderness, just like every last one of us are tempted. He has seen the tears in his mother's eyes as she experienced his torturous death and crucifixion. I don't care what you've encountered. I don't care what you've experienced. God has been there first because he put on flesh and bone and walked among us. He is there in the embrace of family and friends. He is there in the midst of abusal to children or to spouses. He is there to dry tears in the midst of death. There is no darkness in this world that is so dark that the light of God cannot shine. There is no place so barren in the wilderness that God can't make something grow. And there is no one who is so weak and so lost that they cannot be redeemed by God. God has come to us in human form. God has shown up. And that is what we celebrate this Christmas. But the second point is that God is coming again. And just like the servant in the master's house, we need to be prepared. We need to keep watch. I love this little picture. If I can find it. I love this little picture. Little girl on the front. Eyes in anticipation. Eyes open, wanting, joyously, celebrating. You might think of it. She's looking at the Christmas tree on Christmas morning. What I'm saying is we need to look the same way, waiting for the second coming. That he's coming back. And we need to be ready. We need to be ready. It's a busy time of year, folks. Choirs are rehearsing the cantata. The bells are rehearsing. We got decorated trees. We got candles. We got 
decorations. We got poinsettias. We got animals in the nativity scene. We got children who are getting ready for the play. We got pastors who are trying to determine what sermons they're going to preach when. It's busy. Laurie and I were out in Wilmore last night. They did the lighting of the Christmas tree in Wilmore. Then we went for a ride, looking at all the lights in the different neighborhoods. Lots of lights. Lots of lights. I like these new ones they have, these laser lights, all these dots. I'm going to buy a couple. Laurie doesn't know it yet, but I'm going to buy a couple and put them on the house. You got green and red. It's really easy. You just put it in the ground. It lights the whole house. But you know, in going and seeing all those lights and seeing all those decorations the other night, there was one that stuck out more than anything else. As we were driving down on one of the roads, one of the houses was relatively dark, except there in the front yard, there was a spotlight, and there were three figures, Mary, and Joseph, and Jesus. And that says it all. You can take all the rest of the lights and the music and the glamour and the glitz. That says it all. He has come and we celebrate his birth, but we need to be prepared because he is coming yet again. The gospel message is simple. We need to be ready. You know, we get so caught up in these activities and stuff that sometimes we forget that one of the things we need to do, even during this Christmas season, is to repent. I know, tis the season to be jolly. Nobody wants to talk about repentance or judgment. Tis the season to be jolly. Fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. But you know, unless we're ready for God, unless our hearts are prepared, unless, in fact, we are indeed repenting of our sins, you can't accept the Christ child. You can't celebrate his birth, and you certainly cannot be ready for his second coming. So repentance, as much as we don't like it, needs to be a part of who we are, especially during this Christmas season. We can celebrate and we can enjoy Christmas, but we also need to be asking forgiveness and strength. Unless we do that, the Advent holiday is no more than a tailgate party or a birthday party. Only when we have gotten rid of our ways and accepted God's ways can we truly accept the Christ child into our hearts and be watching for his second coming into our lives. That's the prerequisite to receive the Christ child is that we need to repent and be ready. We cannot accept the good news of God unless we do so. You know, I've often wondered why people 2,000 years ago didn't really notice the Christ child, really didn't accept him as the long-awaited Messiah. And I think the same thing applied then 2,000 years ago as it applies today. So many people are so wrapped up in their lives that they don't have time for anybody else's life. So many people are so wrapped up in celebrating their own life that they really don't have the time to celebrate another life like Jesus Christ. Isn't that a pity? Isn't that a shame? But doesn't that define all of us? God saw us in a world of temptation, in a world of sin, and tried to figure out, how in the world am I going to change my creation? What am I going to get them to do to turn around, to recognize me, and to repent? There's an illustration I'm going to use. John Henry Newman, he was an Anglican minister in the Church of England, 1800s. And his religious journeys finally took him to Rome, and he became a cardinal in the Catholic Church. 
He was imminent over most of Europe. And one day he got a letter from a priest in Brennan, which is a little town outside of Birmingham, England. And the priest told him, he says, we're besieged by the plague of cholera. People are dying, and I need help. I need someone else to come and to help me with the sacrament of last rites, to to help me minister communion, to help me do the funerals. I need help. And the cardinal read that and went into his office and got down on his knees and prayed. He was in there almost an hour before the secretary knocked on his door and said, Eminence, we must reply to this priest. What are we to do? And the cardinal got off his knees and said, the people are dying and suffering. How can I send anyone else? I am going. I am going. And that, my brothers and sisters, is exactly what God did. God sees us suffering. God sees us dying. He's not going to send anybody else. He sends himself in the flesh and bone of Jesus Christ. That's his plan. That's the salvation. There is no other plan. And there is no other Savior except the one that God has put into action through His Son. We need to be ready, because He's coming again. Perhaps you've heard of this last thing as I close out today. Marie Crossman. She was a Polish Jew, Germany. She's taken aside and put into the labor in the Volkswagen company. Unfortunately, they weren't making Volkswagen bugs at that time. They were actually constructing tiger tanks. She was pregnant when she arrived. She gave birth to a son, but they immediately took him away and took him to the Volkswagen children's home. She never saw him. We only know now that most of the children there were kept in isolation. They were fed raw or sour milk. They were besieged by lice, by bed sores. But this woman continued to work until one day, close to desperation, she decided she'd have to do the unthinkable. She snuck out, snuck out and walked eight miles to the Volkswagen Children's Home. If she had been found, she would have been shot immediately, no questions asked. But somehow she walked those eight miles, she went to the home, and she found her son. She could barely recognize him. Skin and bones emaciated. She made a choice. She picked up her son and walked away. And amazingly, she was never caught. They were never caught. There were over 300 children in the Volkswagen children's home. There is only one that survived, Marie Crossman's son. That's a salvation plan. That's a rescue plan. And that's exactly the plan that God has in sending His Son and rescuing us and saving us for His glorious future. A salvation plan that we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. It's His rescue plan, folks. And there is no other. So enjoy the festivities. Enjoy the festivities. Enjoy the trees. Enjoy the presents. Enjoy the nativity scene. Enjoy the poinsettias. But be ready. 
and be prepared because Jesus Christ is coming again. God is not done. He is not finished. And we need to be ready and to keep watch because when he does come, he's going to collect us from the four corners of the earth all together. And there won't be one child that will be saved, but it will be all of his children if we will but keep watch. Would you bow your heads with me, please?